HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Michter's.com to find out how their taste-is-everything, cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on Heritage Radio Network. Dot org. Um, good morning, everyone. I, I'm really excited today. We have in studio Matt Wong. He's the general manager at Sherry Lehman Wine Store here in New York City. Uh, he's been there for 13 years, and uh, which sounds like quite a long time, but nothing in comparison to Sherry Lehman, which has been around 80 years. Um, really historic wine store in the city. It's opened up a year after uh, Prohibition ended, which was uh, 1933, and then Lehman opened up in 44. Um, great store on top of being a, quite a, an historic one. It uh, was the number one wine shop in America, uh, said by Forbes. Uh, Zagat has multiple times said it's the number one wine shop in New York. Retailer of the year from wine enthusiasts. Um, just, a, just a great place to buy uh, uh, all of your Petrus needs. No, uh, <laughs> uh, great wines at, uh, at at very high end wines, as well as uh, they have quite a bit of wines in the in the fifteen dollar price point. Anyway, Matt, welcome to the show. It's great well, thanks, to have Joe. you here. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, you know, we we like to start off the show with the uh, the best wine I've had in uh, in the past week. Um, uh, do you have any any thoughts? Uh, I, I'm sure you get to. Drink quite a lot of uh, very very nice wine. Uh, yeah, yeah. We actually last uh, Wednesday uh, we got to preview the uh, the new Opus One that just came out, the, the 2011, uh, which is releasing in October. And everybody knows Opus One is uh, the uh, con- the cooperation of uh, Mouton Rothschild and in who we all know and Robert Mondavi. Uh, it's a red wine that's just iconic through the country and through the world, actually. And uh, how are the 2011s drinking? Is it? It seems like that is maybe a powerful wine that needs some time to age, or is that? Is it? Do they kind of make the softer style? I, I, I don't drink Opus One often. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, it's actually the 11s are. I, I like them. They're not powerful at all. They're very. They're very sexy. They're very lean. They're. Uh, they're more like French. They're more European style. 
uh, not your powerful California. It was a lot of rain. They didn't they didn't have a, a massive amount of sunlight. So it, it's it's a wine that I think is actually going to last longer than the the big the big uh, fruit forward uh, monsters you get out there. All right, and and drinkable in it. In it's and what is what does a bottle of Opus One retail for? <laughs> at, at it's going at three hundred. It's, wow. it's it's not you know it's not your it's not your everyday <laughs> wine. Uh, <laughs> But you know, you, you asked me what, what did I drink lately that was out of this world. It's like yeah. you know, when do you ever get the chance to just have a glass of Opus One no. for, for lunch? <laughs> Even at you know, I went to visit the winery uh, years back when I went to, to Napa, and they even like charge you. It was at the time twenty five dollars just to just to taste the wine when you're at the mm-hmm. winery. They do. They raise the price. <laughs> they raise the price since then because they can't. It's so popular right now. They doubled the price and they still oh can't keep it. It's it, the reservations are out there door <laughs> that's that is absolutely <laughs> nuts um you know what i actually have to give uh my wine of the week a little bit more thought <laughs> i usually prepare it on the way over here and uh I, I i forgot to do that so i apologize but uh i'm going to give my wine week a little more thought thank you for so much for for sharing that um that, matt let's talk a little bit about first what what are your as the general manager of this of this huge wine shop fifty million dollars a year in revenue it's an amazing number uh, for me to think about uh, what what are your responsibilities like how did you get to be the GM I know you kind of started from the ground up worked your way to the top yeah it's, it's kind of it's a great it's a great culture everyone who started at Cherry Leaf starts on the, on that sales floor we, most of us the CEO and the CEO right now the owners of the company started as temporary holiday salespeople and from that point we, you know we, we grew and we we, we uh, engulfed it we love it and uh, we just took it on and I, I started as a I started as a temporary salesperson I, le- I left the cooking world to, to learn about wine I was cooking at Danielle, and I said I want to give the wine thing a chance again. And then it, it, I got the bug right after the uh, to the month and a half that I was there. It was uh, you know we had I, I found that I was sitting at James Beard's seat because he used to he used to do a cookbook with uh, Sam Aaron, the founder of Sherry Lehman. So you know when it comes to cooking and wine, I mean these two these two like this uh, this uh, iconic uh, store is well versed in restaurants and throughout new york city and throughout the world wow so that must have been a amazingly uh to sit at the seat that james beard sat at it's been hugely oh yeah from impressive. a kid coming, kid coming out of the french culinary institute who was just oogling and ogling at all these these names you hear about and like and you know who actually i actually cooked at the james beard house and actually say james beard sat here for for years so when you started at sherry did you think that this was your career path or was this uh, i'm gonna dip my toe into it and see if i like oh, it no it was a, it was a dip my toe into it not at all you know nobody nobody plans on being in this business like that you catch the bug uh but it, it had all the it had everything i loved about the food and wine world and to be able to enjoy it to experience it can you t- so can you share with us a little bit more about the history of uh, Sherry Lehman? How did it go from a year after Prohibition, 1934, the shop opens up? I imagine not selling the finest Bordeaux <laughs> and Burgundy and Opus One. <laughs> uh, well, that didn't even exist, but uh, uh, you know, not selling super fine wines at that time to a major player in the world of wine retailing. <laughs> It's a great story. You know, they were bootleggers. I mean, the, the Aaron's were uh, they, they were dock bosses, and then you know you see that show Boardwalk Empire. You, you know that scene in you know in New York where they're 
they they controlled the docks, and then they were, you know, we had a great association with the Twenty One Club, and then after right after Prohibition, Sherry Wine and Spirits became uh, opened up, and mostly back then it was spirits, so it was not wine dominated. People were drinking a lot of you know the Pimm's Cup, the J and B's, you know the the Johnny Walkers, uh, and later on we we acquired a company called a. Uh, Lehman Wine and Spirits in the seventies, mm. in which became Sherry Lehman. But throughout that, we were we were we were introducing brands such as Mo, we introduced brands such as Dom Perignon. We brought the Bordeaux market to to the USA, you know, with the Bordeaux Futures campaign with Chateau and Estates, and we just kept growing and growing to a company that has over seven thousand uh, different wine labels now. Yeah, what what were some of the the big landmarks along the way? When, when did it go to to from a more spirit focus to uh, high end wine, top quality customer service, and and that sort of thing? I think after the war, World War Two, they they mm-hmm. kind of the after the forties, you know, they in the sixties when Bordeaux in the sixty one vintage came out, people started recognizing Bordeaux, and uh, we we then it then started to really shift towards the wine market because people were now buying futures and they were understanding this culture of. Uh, buying your wine now, let it sit down, drink it later, just keep building vintage upon vintage. And also the customer service. I mean, and it was a, it was a, um, it was like a, it was a, it was something that everybody, everybody wanted to do on their own. Nobody wanted their assistant to do it. They wanted to come into the shop, talk to your, talk to your wine salesperson, say, listen, I want to buy something. I want it delivered. They, we would do that. We'd package it up for you. It was just kind of this old school style of, uh, of uh, merchants that we, that, it doesn't exist as much anymore. We still we still cherish that. Though. Yeah. Now, how have things changed in the retail world since uh, since you started? I, I worked in wine retail uh, ten years ago at Italian Wine Merchants, and you have started you started even a few years before me, and, and you're still around. So you've seen, I imagine, uh, a shift. And how would you characterize that? <laughs> a big shift called online. <laughs> we had, when I came when I came in, I think we were just uh, we just re- launched our website. A, a year prior to that, and since then it was, uh, and then, you know we still it was cash and carry, uh, pro- and now with online it was it became this whole thing where people just didn't want to talk to anybody anymore. They just want to order their wine online and just have it delivered. Um, where I, I'm sure when you worked there too, it was it was a it was kind of as a more interaction with the with the person to person. And you know, at Italian wine merchants, I found that. Uh, what, my job was was to be on the floor, but I'm sure we did as much business or more so over the phones um, <laughs> as opposed to to on the floor. But I I liked that. I don't think I would have enjoyed being on the phones and making sales in that way. I, I liked that customer interaction when people came in and was able to talk with them about wine. It's it's becoming uh, harder and harder for that for people. So that the phone is easier because they can just call and they can talk to the people they like to talk to. They know they inform them about wine. They set up their deliveries. And when they do come into the store, you know, they make a special point of doing it. So it's like an, it's an event for them now. Say, oh, I'm going to be stopping by. We want to sit down with you. Uh, it, but we have noticed that when you, because of delivery, people buy, you buy a lot more wine when you don't have to carry it. <laughs> yes. Well, so if you, if you were to uh, be speaking with a, someone who is starting a new wine retailing business, 
Do you feel like for them there there's any any point in having a brick and mortar store? Uh, it seems like there are so many fixed costs that come with it. Not le- not a, at least the, the rent in New York City is just mm-hmm. absolutely absurd. Doesn't matter where you are in New York at this point. Um, do, or can people? Do you think that people can exist just in the in the online world? And uh, you guys have a pretty you know primo mm-hmm. Park Avenue location, so I, I think you'd have a good insight on this. <laughs> yeah. Brick and mortar is still is still a necessity in the in the in the wine world, spirit and wine world, because people still like they think of it as a it's an item, especially in New York where you have to you have to go there and pick it up. You can't just it's not about delivery. It's not about they just feel better going to the liquor store. <laughs> you know they still have that mentality. The online guys, it's a, it's a tough it, that's a blood that's a tough market out there. Yeah. Because every you're competing with people who are doing the same exact thing you are, and you know you, you got. Uh, you, you, you're uh, you're trying to go up against guys who are buying a lot more than you and offering free shipping and margins that you can't even compete with. Uh, right. But then again, you never know if these guys have the wine at times. Do you find that people are using things like Wine Searcher and saying, well, I can get it for $2.50 <laughs> $2. in New Jersey? Oh yeah, they they and do it, that. They do that all the time. They'll bring their Amazon things to show us that the, you know they'll they'll search the wine, saying I can get it at a lower price in New Jersey. I said, well, that's great, but you know we but for us, we're still we're going to stick to our guns and say our quality. We buy first source. We don't go gray market. We have fifty five degree temperature controlled in both of our locations in our sixty five thousand square foot warehouse in Brooklyn. And our uh, ten thousand bottle seller right in this right in right on five hundred five Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, we everything you buy from us is when when it comes up, we package it up. You get we we'll box it up. All of those services are included, and we deliver free pretty much everywhere. Yeah, and you know, I learned early on in my in my wine career, and in, and I got burned. Um, there was a there was a little defunct store on Fourteenth uh, Street that's it's not around anymore, but they had all of this great old wine. Like Monte Vertine from the '90s for like forty bucks a bottle, and I was like, "Oh my god!" But all this wine in every single bottle was bad because of how they stored it. So it's so important to go to a retailer where you you can trust that that's happening. I always liked that Italian wine merchants they uh, every single bottle, just as at at Sherry, it was kept in the. Uh, in the 55 degree cellar, even if it was a $15 bottle. Mm-hmm. And then it came up, it came up through a little dumbwaiter and, uh, I was proud. And you know, they could probably get that bottle for $2 cheaper around the corner, but, uh, I think that it makes a big difference. Yeah. It's, you get excited when you see that little elevator come up and out come your bottles at perfect temperature and they bag it up nicely. It's instead of, you know, going to you grab your bottle out of a bin in a supermarket and you know you go up to the counter with it. Yeah. So it's something that you mentioned uh allude to a few times and I, I think this is the the question that's been uh uh that retailers have been asking every year for the past, you know, maybe 15 years or since Bordeaux Futures has been a big thing. Mm-hmm. Has it has the market for Bordeaux Futures and high-end Bordeaux finally topped out? Um, yeah, how, how was it? How was it this year? Or, uh, or is it still going strong? Is this still like the greatest investment in wine because the prices just seem to have no roof to them? Uh, we had a little bit of a correction. You know, the, everyone was talking back in uh, 
after you know after the crash in 08 you know they they lowered their prices but then 9 and 10 they came back with these astronomical they had great scores but the prices were very high mm-hmm. um, and people were a little bullish towards them they weren't buying them as much as they were so the Bordeaux campaign has not been as strong as it as it has has been in the past where we it was a celebrated moment where people were like calling like the stock market you know phones are ringing you know yeah. they're fighting for it uh so, but you know, this year the 2013s that we just released are, they're good Bordeaux style ones. The prices have come down. Um, Bordeaux is is slowly coming back to normal. Right now. Yeah, and that's good for your everyday drinker who just likes Absolutely. really nice wine. Um, you know, it used to be my 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 uncle worked in a pharmacy in the in the 80s and 90s, and he was able to buy all of this first growth Bordeaux. And now, uh, you know, <laughs> professionals who really like wine, um, who are making six figures, like you can't, you can't afford some of that stuff. It's just, it's just wacky. So, uh, I guess it's good to hear that there's been a, a price uh, for for oh, R yeah. as wine lovers. We Sorry always, for. Oh no, we always <laughs> got to remember. You know, we they make the wine for us to drink, <laughs> so yeah. we want to be able to buy. One other uh, retail uh, question that I wanted to ask you uh, is how has the uh, the whole scandal and arrest and imprisonment of Rudy, um, Rudy Kernerian, I, I was <laughs> butcher his last name, uh, who is he, who has forged all of this wine, how has that, how has that affected things in the, in the retail world? Oh, it's 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 been big. Uh, people are they're very off. They don't like not knowing where they get their wine from. So they've been coming to us now because they know that we don't we don't mess around. We don't buy from private sellers. We don't do. We just go direct to the chateaus. We go direct to Burgundy. Everything we had has provenance to it. Um, nowadays, everyone's just they kind of joke now when they see a bottle because of Rudy. They're like. Uh, is it a real bottle or is it not? You know, the, that last spectator issue had that Petrus, well, the bottle of Petrus that Rudy, that the Korean, the Korean uh, forgery made. Mm-hmm. And they said it looked better than the original. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but it's, so, it's been a big deal and people are, they, re, they recognize and that's why we're, that's why our prices are higher. Is it because of our, you know, our product? You can guarantee it. We guarantee it. We guarantee it's going to be direct first source. <laughs> how do you, do, so how do you, actually go about that i mean you have to buy from a distributor mm-hmm, right correct. so how, how do you ensure that you know this is in fact the wine that is from the from the seller uh, because we work with directly with the chateaus who do, who go within the who, the same negotiations that we've been using for years mm-hmm. and they oh we have we have the uh the logistics that go with it are they we there's no messing around it's a it's a planned um, system that's been that Sherilyn has been doing since the 30s. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I, I definitely think it makes sense to to be shopping in a store like Sherry Lehman or Italian Wine Merchants or somewhere where you really really do trust it. Even if the, if the cost is a little bit higher, there's as we spoke about some bad storage and and other shenanigans that that can uh, can negatively affect your mm-hmm. wine buying experience. But when you get one of these burgundy colored boxes. <laughs> You know it's going to be good. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, We'll be back with more uh, with Matt Wong from Sherry Lehman. Electric Latin Soul. 
Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's Master Distiller says it's just right. Michter's Cost Be Damn Taste Is Everything Attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. And we're back with uh, Matt Wong, the uh, general manager of Sherry Lehman. And uh, Matt, thank you so much. You have brought us uh, three wines to taste. Um, uh, I'm excited to try two of them. <laughs> One of them I'm a little intimidated by. Tell us, tell us what you brought. Um, so I brought, so I brought some. I brought a white wine from Burgundy, but it's not Chardonnay. It's it's a it's a grape product called Alagote, but it's made by probably one of the greatest wine in my in my book one of the the greatest wine producer in uh white in burgundy i brought an italian wine that's that, a rulo aligote rulo aligote yeah i mean <laughs> one of the greatest white wine producers Jean, absolutely right yeah jean marc rulo wow. is the master of Merceau. uh and then i also brought a red wine from sicily um, not everyone thinks sicilian wines you know they're not that they're they're just narrow the avola they're kind of they're they're good everyday drinking wine, but this wine, they they're, they're mentioned. The sommeliers in the city are talking about it's the Burgundy of Sicily now. It's now, called Etna Rosso, which is it's grown on the, in a volcano. Now, now, I mean, now you're just pandering to me. I, I love Etna Rosso. <laughs> this is the Fessina uh, Etna Rosso, so that that'll be exciting to uh, to taste. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so not your run of the mill that you hear about a lot, uh, and then. <laughs> And just because it's summertime, it's fun, um, and something that's kind of that people don't hear about is Sh- Moet Chandon's uh, Ice Imperial, which is you drink it, champ- you drink champagne on ice, and you have to drink it on ice, or it's not going to be, it's not going to taste right. Do you have to drink it on ice while taking a selfie? <laughs> you, is that required? You, uh, yes. <laughs> In Moet's book, yes. <laughs> but who else would come out with something like that? But it's actually. Very, it's delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. All right, and how much is it? It's sixty. It's wow. sixty dollars retail. Sixty dollars for a bottle of wine that you have to put on ice. Okay. Hopefully, it's, hopefully you make me a believer. Uh, I don't know about that one. All right, let's let's taste the Rouleau. <laughs> uh, so we have the Aligote 2011 from Rouleau, and uh, tell us tell us a little bit more about. This. Why did you decide to bring this one? Well, you know, this is a Jean Marc Rouleau's wines. You you can't you can't find them. They're just they're impossible to get. And if you do get them, you get a couple bottles. But they, he makes his him and his sister and his mother actually do this wine from Aligote. And Aligote is a very dry, uh, acidic, crisp wine from Burgundy. It's they they call it the second most grown grape in Burgundy, which is kind of funny because they only supposed to grow Chardonnay. <laughs> it's a it's a tiny little seventeen hundred hectare, which is like it's forty two hundred acres. Uh, 
in all of Burgundy. In all of Burgundy. Yeah. Sorry, in all of Burgundy. And this this is definitely my uh, my strategy when uh, when drinking wine, especially a Burgundy, is to find a great producer and then go with the lesser known wine from a great producer because you know that he's still going to be growing grapes the way that that he grows grapes and giving la- uh, care and love and attention to it. It's just maybe not from the very prestigious uh, site. So you're not paying for the real estate, but you're paying for for the talent of, of that winemaker, and, and I'd rather do that. Yeah, and it's it's twenty two dollars a bottle, and in Rulo standard, that's that's very that's that's very reasonable. And in, in general, it's a reason it's a great everyday drinking wine. I'm really excited. I, I've through the the Palais, I've been able to try uh, quite a bit of Rulo, and I've never even seen the Aligote. I'm I'm super excited just <laughs> smelling it. It's oh, it's got that. It's got his t- it's got his touch on there. <laughs> That minerality, yeah, it's really pronounced mineral. It smells like a, a more expensive wine than than twenty two dollars. It has a brininess that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't necessarily expect from uh, Burgundy. Think mm-hmm. more Loire Valley kind of brininess. Tons of minerality, tons of acidity. Great food wine. That is awesome. <laughs> that is really, really, really good. Yeah, it's one of these. It's we get a we get this wine. And we've been buying it for years, and it's one of those kind of hidden gems that once people get it, they they start they buy cases of it. Cause it, mm. it runs out. That would be my. I mean, that's what I would buy. That would be my house wine. That is awesome. And you're trying to show off a bunch of fun of a bunch of wine geeks. This wine would do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can bring that to any. I think any any time you have wine geeks together, and that's that's cool. I mean, you know, you think that maybe wine geeks necessarily need to be impressed by something rare and expensive. I mean, this is certainly rare, but inexpensive. It has that acidity, which which, as you said, sommeliers are into this wine. Sommeliers are love that acidity because it just makes food taste so so good. I love that. All right, so from Mount Etna, the Festina wine grown on a volcano. <laughs> love in it, Sicily. You think about that. That is pretty impressive that these people live on Europe's largest active volcano. That is in a, it's active. It's in a, a constant state of eruption, and then every four years or so, there's a big one. So <laughs> that could wipe out the entire production of this one. That's crazy. And they've had they have some pretty old vines there. Do Very, you know this one in particular? This one's this one's pretty old. Uh, I actually don't know the exact date. But these guys have been making, they've been making wine for, for a very long time. And the cool thing about these wines is you're not going to get that usual, it's not a big fruit bomb that you get from, because it's, it's so hot there. It's got a lot of, uh, it's, got a, it's got this elegance to it, because I think, I believe it, because of this, the minerality in the soil from the volcanic, from the volcanic soil they get. The minerality in the soil, and a, a lot of the top quality vineyards there are on, are on the northeastern side of Mount Etna, so they don't get necessarily as much sunlight as, as some of those vineyards in the, either on the central, on the, on the southern part of Mount Etna, or central Sicily, where it gets super, super hot. They're elegant wines. Mm-hmm. This also has a lot of minerality on the nose, a smokiness. Smokiness, which I love. Yeah. eat a lot of goat there. <laughs> Eat a lot of goat on that. Eat a lot of goat in that region. <laughs> That'd be good. I mean, if you're into that, like, earthy on umami kind mm-hmm. of situation, then. Mm. So these are, just, these are just kind of cool finds that, you, you know, you, that's why you go to a wine shop like Sherry Lee, because you talk Delicious. to our guys when you're looking for something different, you're looking for something, you know, you, you say you like some wines from Sicily. We like Italian wines. You're looking for something that's uh, 
this is a this is a pretty pricey bottle. It's it's a fifty dollar bottle retail, but it's probably Sicily, Sicily's best. Uh, and if you're you know you're drinking Barbarescos, you're drinking Nebbiolos, you know those are pricey wines. They get up you know Barolos, they get up in the hundreds. Uh, this is a great alternative. Yeah, this is a great alternative. I agree with you. It's delicious. <laughs> Very uh, good. Really, really good. I think both of these, if if you if you're a Burgundy fan. And you don't want to spend for top burgundy. They're good alternatives. This is, there, there are similarities here, but it's certainly its its own thing. Uh, I, I, I really like that. And thank you for introducing me. I've had Fessina before, but I think they make a, a less expensive cuvee. They that, do. That I, that I it, honestly, it, wasn't, it hasn't been my favorite. This is truly delicious, though. This is really, really good. We had this as a blind, as they, the wine, the sommelier blinded us at Casa Libre on this wine, and we were drinking uh, Burgundy, and all of us were like, what the hell is this glass of wine? Oh, sorry for... You can, oh, no, you, <laughs> I mean, if you, if they, if you don't curse at least once, then they kick you out, so, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's awesome. So, thank you for bringing two really great wines. Uh, you have not instilled any more confidence in me that I'm in any which way going to like this Moet ice champagne and believe it or not despite that don't put it in the refrigerator what? it's actually better because room temperature because it actually melts faster oh my god <laughs> this is ridiculous and it's in a it's in a white in a white bottle it looks like a bowling pin <laughs> that <laughs> that you how much does this how much does this go for at one oak Oh, it's 300 a bottle. <laughs> do, do they sell it there? Oh, yeah. They oh. Sell every, you, you name it. They and I'm sorry, it. that's the only club that I actually really know the, the name of. So that, that that's all I got for reference. But uh. So what they do this one, they make it, a, it's a heavier, they kind of concentrate it. So you, so they you concentrate need, it. They concentrate it where you need, it's like a demi-sec. Through the natural artisanal art of champagne concentration. Exactly. So when the ice does, the water mixes with it, and it actually finishes it. But it, believe it, on a hot day... <laughs> Wait, was so, that, so that was a room temperature bottle? That was a room temperature bottle. And how come, it did, how come the, the cork didn't explode everywhere? Years of, years of opening bottles. Oh, it's your skill. So, so if, our, Be careful. if our listeners decide to buy a $60 bottle <laughs> ice over there at home, they're going to... At room temperature, it's going to... Okay, so maybe you guys should chill it, just in case. But drink it on a lot of ice on a hot day, mm-hmm. and anybody who's like my cousin, who's just who's about to get married this week, has a fiance who doesn't drink anything, and I was able to get her to drink this, <laughs> and she can't get enough of it. Yeah. Well. Okay. What I have think? to say, <laughs> it's ninety degrees out in New York, and you're going to offer me this or the Fessina. At Neroso, I might actually choose to drink this. Uh, <laughs> I will not spend sixty dollars of my own hard-earned money on it, however. But uh, I can see it's refreshing. It it's not disgusting. I thought it would be. Um, oh, it's 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 very surprising. It's very surprising. And they actually what's cut- the, do you know what the dosage is on this? Oh, it's high. Uh, <laughs> I know it's high. <laughs> But the packaging alone, it's very festive. Yeah, uh, I get we get we run out of this all the time. No, come on. Oh yeah, people can't get enough of it. (laughs) We have Germans coming in to buy. They they can't. They they try to pack it in their suitcases. They're taking it home with them. 
it's hard to find. It, we we launched it in Miami with uh, we were at Fashion Week and we launched we have launched this in Miami uh, five years ago, and it was it's taken storm. Like you'll see it in Miami nightclubs, you'll see it on beaches, but you won't see it everywhere. <laughs> You won't see it at like Michael's Genuine or like, no. You won't uh, see it at fine restaurants. Fine restaurants. You're not going to see it at a, you know, <laughs> three Michelin star restaurants. Oh man, uh, San Tropez. You know, you're on the beach in Sunset Beach somewhere over in, at, at the uh, Sh- on uh, Shelter Island. I hate to say it's like reminiscent of Champagne, and it's also refreshing, and it <laughs> it doesn't really suck. But. <laughs> Yeah, a hot day. You know, it's 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 that thing about having wine in the right occasion. Um, you can have a great wine, but it could be the not appropriate occasion for it, and it, it just it, it it's lost to it. So I could see in Miami, you're on the beach, you're with a woman with fake breast implants. <laughs> that would be an appropriate uh, thing to drink. Anyway, sorry, I don't know if I should have said that. <laughs> anyway, Matt, thank you so much for making these. Well, I'm glad I opened your eyes that you were, you've been, you've heard of this. <laughs> you're like, I don't trust it. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's much better than I thought. But when you go to Sherry Lehman, definitely check out the Rulo Aligote and the, and the Fessina as well as there and some of the other wines. I'm sure that, that you'll, you'll find a lot of stuff that's great to drink. Uh, you've been a good sport. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Joe, for having me. And, uh, Thanks all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>